Hello, Sasha. Hi, Stella. How are you doing? I am well. I'm well. Um, I'm kind of in good form. A lot of the extraordinary um, levels of what are they called commitments that yeah. I kind of started a year or two ago have kind of been put in. So I just feel yeah. a lot more tension, a lot less to do. <laughs> still plenty. That's really good. And <laughs> and meanwhile, you're still preparing for Killarney, which is Whoa. which goes to show how unbelievably busy and how many big commitments you obviously have. If it's... Killarney is like, oh, I barely have anything <laughs> going on now. <laughs> well, I I think it's actually kind of very relevant to this this episode. Is that this is an extraordinary world that can take your whole life yeah. and I think it kind of took my whole life for the last year yeah. and now I'm kind of saying hello children how are you <laughs> yeah. what's your name <laughs> how old are you now yeah yeah so I, I think I, I've been in a thing for about mm. a year now and I, I'm, I'm glad to feel like I'm getting a bit of sun oh, on my skin and a bit of that's time that's really to, great yeah. and I'm, I'm excited to spend time together it's always nice when we get to be together yeah. Well, you're going to meet my family. You can come in and tell everybody what you think wait. of them. <laughs> I'll ask your kids what their names are and I'll be like, hey, the the girls named this and the boys named that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know your kids' names. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be great. And I, to be honest, you know, today's episode, we had recorded it a little while ago. We sat on it. Yeah. And as often happens after we record something, after maybe 24 to 48 hours, I will be able to kind of marinate on the discussion and then I'll have new thoughts about it. And I'm pretty sure that soon after I actually texted, texted you freaking yeah. out like, no, we can't release this episode. I feel terrible about it. I, and I got I nervous. I was stunned because I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really, yeah. really powerful. I did think it was thought-provoking, but I thought this is going to be... You know, sometimes we do an episode and I think, I really think we've helped people. I really yeah. think yes. this is going to be thought-provoking, maybe challenging, but ultimately valuable and helpful. Yeah. And I love the word helpful. Like, is it helping? And so when you said that, I was like, really? What? Yeah. And you were like, whoa. So go yeah. on. So I think my my reason for feeling really nervous is like, as you'll hear shortly, today we talk about the different kinds of ways people get into an obsession over gender, the types of people that caught up, they're caught up in the gender debates. And we kind of break down like what we see as like various kind of characters or like archetypes of people who are deeply, deeply involved in the gender debates. And I think the reason I felt so uncomfortable with the episode is that Typically, we have a topic yeah. and we go in great depth into this topic and we look at it from multiple different perspectives, different angles. We kind of dissect it. We go really deep and it's very thorough. I think our analyses of various topics tend to be pretty thorough. There are always episodes where at the end of it, I say, gosh, there was a lot more to say. Yeah. But I usually yeah. feel like I have given this a good faith um, examination from lots of angles. But how I felt after this episode is that we just kind of like shouted out these types of people and said like one or two things about them and moved on. So it's like, we got the lawyers involved and this is what we think of the lawyers and there's the ROGD parent and this is the kind of character they have. And really like each of those 
personality types or types of people, which we're included. We are obviously obsessed with gender. Like we could have, I feel like we could have done justice to them better if each kind of type of person had their full episode. So I felt like we might have kind of just barely skimmed over and there are going to be, I can imagine if I were an audience member, because I listened to it the other day to refresh, I was listening to it and thinking, I can think of a million uh, examples of that not being true. You know, like I thought of all of these kind of contradictory points. But I think the, the point of the episode was lots of people get very obsessed with gender. And sometimes it's important if you are obsessed with gender to reflect on what brought you there whether being deeply involved in the debates in the particular way that we talk about is serving you, serving your kids, serving your community, serving your family. And so we kind of dig into that. Uh, And I would say uh, I have the utmost respect of everybody who's, who's kind of obsessed with gender because they are my people, frankly. (laughs) I, I think gender is Gender in the 21st century is so compelling because it has everything. It has, you know, free speech. It has silencing of speech. It has your very essence of what it is to be you. What makes you a woman? What what makes you a man? What is femininity? What is masculinity? It's drilling down so deep. And it's, is it the patriarchy? Is it transhumanism? Is it a confluence of events? What is psychology? Does it help? What do we need to... just everything, yes. journalism, yes. education, medical stuff, legal definitions. Yeah. yeah, like it just it has everything. So I think anybody who gets obsessed with gender, I think chapeau. <laughs> yes, yeah. so you should. Um, yeah. Having said that, you know, too much of a good thing. <laughs> and like some people are really it's I shouldn't say it's too much of a good thing because some people are in distraught, terrible, yeah. terrible places. Yeah. They didn't want to get obsessed with gender. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And they got put in that place. Other yeah. people have ended up there and they can't get away because it's such a compelling subject. There's loads of different ways to become involved. I think what we do in this episode this is why I thought is that we raise a bit of awareness of the ways a few people could fall in and you could hold it too tightly. And uh, I I say that as somebody who who definitely tends towards holding things too tightly. And I benefit when I remember, smell the roses, kick back, enjoy your coffee, have a game of tennis with your mate who doesn't know anything about gender and finds it boring. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because sometimes, honestly, the sun on your skin is so much more pleasant than any kind of reading a new paper. And the kind of the intellectual curiosity that a lot of people have around gender, that kind of feed me more, feed me more. It's very, very distracting and compelling. Yeah. And we, as people who are interested in mental health, have to be wary of that. We have to be wary of, you know, I I feel my whole 20s, I intellectualized everything and never got to the feelings and never got to the good places you can just think all the time Mm -hmm. and that's my danger and i'd say a lot of people who haven't been thrust into it the people who are who are in it like myself and yourself the the writers the you know the, the, the 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 journalists who don't need to be in it i think they probably very often are very intellectually curious and it's 
very it's 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 very compelling in that manner and you know you can get too into it too far east is west as they say yeah so i mean with that aside when i think about this discussion i feel like actually rather than being nervous to publish it what i'd like to do actually is expand on it because i think there are a lot of ways people fall into gender that we didn't get to cover and as i was thinking about this it kind of i was spinning off into all these other ideas and i think the more we can because of course you and i definitely fit into a lot of these categories the more we can recognize ourselves just brings a little self-awareness which is part of what we talk about all the time how important that is so we hope yeah. that um this is interesting we we heard some feedback from others that this is an interesting episode so maybe i'm a little paranoid and a little nervous which i tend to be you know that about me but we with that we will uh leave it to I, the... I tend to be over optimistic and think everything is great <laughs> we balance each other out <laughs> all right so here is the episode Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Today we're talking about something very interesting, which is, I think for me, this really got sparked by our conversation about detransitioners when we talked about moving beyond the political identity. And it got me thinking about all of the different kind of characters and identities and like camps, silos that are embedded within this kind of culture war debate around gender. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about it a little bit and we just went on and on and on. And we think that's a very interesting lens because I, I don't know about you, but I, 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 the way I think of myself, I really don't want to be part of any camp. I don't want to be dogmatic about anything. I'm primarily a therapist and I definitely land um, in a certain perspective on child medicalization but I don't necessarily share the same perspectives or views with other people who may also be against childhood medicalization, right? So I would like to just talk about this together today. And yeah. um, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting and a bit tricky. I think so. We could we could successfully annoy everybody, which will be yeah. enjoyable. <laughs> um, I think there's a Venn diagram where gender would be in the middle and people who are yeah. interested in gender and the outsides of that is there's a, there's an awful lot of different identities and it, it's so mm. interesting whoever whatever direction you're coming at pretty much all of us think we're right <laughs> we have it right i often call it the goldilocks syndrome where everybody mm. thinks they have it just right and everybody else is just a little bit wrong a little bit this way a little bit that way but i have it just right and they basically sell their just right position to and i do it myself to everybody else but you see what yeah. you just said which i think is classic of the and i I'm, i am you so i'm not going to do but well, classic of, of the certain <laughs> so many of us are, are lone wolves we're like 
I'm not in any group that I, I don't want to be in any group. I'm I'm fundamentally and almost before I'm a therapist, I'm a lone wolf. I'm I do my own thing, you know. What's the word? Paddle my own canoe. All the phrases, you mm. know what I mean. And there is a whole. There's something about that independent thinker, lone wolf, that seems to me to be often gender critical. I'd love. I've said this a hundred times, but I would love to do personality analysis of people mm. who became gender critical because there's some sort of like uh, what's the word they're, they're they're almost combatively on their own no no and every single group you're in no i don't think we should do this no i don't think we should. everybody disagrees and it was very well named even though i never liked the phrase gender critical i've, I've never really it's not where i land of course this is classic lone wolf there's <laughs> me embarrassing myself but um the, the 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 fact is critics do you know what i mean the the, the yeah. very very good critics the very mm. very very highly developed sense of criticism and mm-hmm. they can criticize anything any good pe- paper any good thought any good anything mm-hmm. and so it can it can very quickly in that world and we have to get into the different identities because i know it's mm. gone straight into one but um it can become just relentless criticism which is mm-hmm. really interesting intellectually mm-hmm. but it is what's happening which I, th- I think that's almost like the academic i mean we hadn't even put this on our list when we were brainstorming okay. it, but th- there is an academic an academic who's drawn to this and frankly academics you know are of course analyzing things from different perspectives based on their their field and what they've studied but you're talking about the person who is trained and very adept at analyzing and critiquing. Like here are the the kind of philosophical issues with this argument or with this position. And that that's interesting to me. And so let's say we'll, we'll produce one identity and there's going to be a few in this episode. So one identity is the kind of the academic critic and some of those academic critics, maybe the more intellectual critics, because they mightn't be academic, but they're naturally intellectual. They're naturally cerebral and they're naturally saying, oh, no, that's not quite true. And off they go and they study. They know their stuff. They're very, very rabbit holy because in they go and they know they come out with, you know, a paper from 1976 that they, they came across after six hours of study. It's intellectually very absorbing. I have plenty of this in me that intellectual critic but it's it's one of the one of the identities and it can feel like an all-consuming world yeah to be in that yeah and it, i i feel that there's an awful lot of kind of self-praise in that world because mm. they're, you know they've really analyzed it and they're kind of it's, it's very nice to feel that you're at the top of your game and you know exactly what's going down mm-hmm. and you know all the research i'm feeling yeah. uneasy saying all that but it, it, it's true you know yeah I, that's interesting and, and i'm thinking too about how there are people maybe who take a more gender skeptical perspective. I mean, gender critical has become a term that kind of ran away and it's now used by, like, for example, I keep seeing people from the like radical trans activism groups 
calling me like a gender critical feminist or something, which I'm not really. I mean, I don't think so at all. So that term gender critical in and of itself is kind of snowballed into something else. But there are academics definitely on kind of all sides of the argument. And they're like purely coming from this academic framework. And that's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if that's an identity per se, because I think academics, that's their job to analyze and critique. Um, But I do think there are certain kinds of identities that have emerged out of this that are really new. Like academics have always existed and they've always gotten into like debates about things. But the ROGD parent, that is a new kind of identity. And they are often, um, there is a type, you could say there's a classic ROGD parent. And they're often, I'll, I'll give you what I would say is an, a classic ROGD. They're often very cerebral, very researchy, very into kind of learning an awful lot. Um, well informed, I would argue, certainly that there's, you know, they generally, if they don't know it, they know the gist of it and would be able to find you this exact fact quite quickly. Um, ma- not massively in touch with other parts of life that there's a kind of a there's a feeling of real intellectualism kind of mm. overriding their their identity and not maybe all, all that interested in in and more emotional earthy parts of life it's mm. it's it's a kind of a, a kind of intellectual control that mm. I see and it can be uh, over involved would be an issue and weirdly a slightly just I can't help but say it because I see it so often very often with that gentle mild mannered fear of conflict as well mm. that whole side of them and I've always thought is that the combo is that what makes it mm. these parents or am I just happening to see those two and is it is it my bias that sees that's my or a GD parent. Mm. What what is your OG? Is is that what you see? Or is this something? <laughs> well, when when I was thinking about this, what what was on my mind was more of like this kind of political identity that has emerged. And I'm thinking, especially within the context of American politics, which is so polarizing, there's definitely a kind of ROGD parent who becomes a kind of campaigner or an activist against, let's say, gender medicine as an industry, uh, against schools who are like affirming children without parent knowledge. And I'm thinking about that kind of super resourceful, um, often someone with like experience within law or maybe even politics or like physicians, engineers, people who are educated and resourceful and able to access like supports, able to quickly kind of like gather other professionals and people on their team to make like some kind of legislative pushes, like parents like that. I'm thinking about the kind of ROGD activist parent um, which definitely has more of like a kind of a mission attached to that identity. And I, I agree with everything you said, because that's uh-huh. definitely a, the profile of parents I've worked with before. But I was kind of thinking about this person who's a little bit in the public eye, like starting to write and talk about their experiences, trying to bring awareness, you yeah. know, to this issue. And that parent, who so, uh, to me, there's two parents here. There's the RGD, classic RGD parent, who's a certain type, cerebral, quiet, gentle. Then there's the RGD activist parent, who is 
feistier and is, is more zeroing in on the on the political side of it. Often you could argue channeling a kind of an absolute impotence, a powerlessness in in their life into that. I would see that, I know you, you, you're nervous around it. I would see that in, in many cases in the parents I see, I know their circumstances and I can see why they're doing it. And I say, I say to myself, I would do that in those circumstances. It depends on the circumstance. Sometimes it can be a way of just running away from the utter difficulty, the complexity, the messiness of, of emotional kind of distress at home. It's so mm. much easier. It's such a brilliant distraction to get into mm. this because it's so mm -hmm. compelling. There's news every single day, every six hours. Mm -hmm. there's a, Have you seen? It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So you can always be occupied and preoccupied. So I do think some of them, it's a displacement activity. Yeah. And sometimes it's a healthy displacement activity and sometimes it's an unhealthy. And that's really for, I think, the, the parent to figure out, am I using this as a way to avoid problems that I really should address? You know, that lovely mm. um, prayer from AA, you know, God, help me accept the things I can, the courage, to, what is it? The courage to accept I think the it's things. like, grant me the serenity to accept <laughs> the things I cannot change and maybe the courage to change the things I can or something, something kind of like that. The wisdom to know the difference. Oh, the and wisdom the, to know the difference. That's the key, yeah. the wisdom to know the difference because sometimes you can change things and you should zero back into your family because they need you and you're actually using this as a displacement because it's so hard at home. And it's, yeah. it's, it's easier to be out in the political realm, whatever that may be. But for others, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Maybe they've left. Maybe there is, maybe, maybe they've left. They've gone to college. Maybe they've left. Mm. And you're just left with all these thoughts and emotions. And, or maybe you're too intense and you need to kind of dilute yourself in a little way. Yeah. Debatable. I I don't know if this falls in the same place, but before we started, we were kind of talking about people who, whether they're a parent or not, they get into the gender debates and then they basically just become a full-time gender person yeah. and they stop doing their activities. They stop participating with other kind of interests they used to have. It becomes gender 24 yeah. seven. And that seems like a very, I mean, that's really a unique aspect of this particular time and place where like, you know, you can get online and be fed story after story after story, yeah. which enrages you, you know, and it keeps you locked into this sense of some sort of like a holy mission almost that like I have to martyr myself for this cause, this gender cause. And I'm wondering... What do you think of that? Because I, uh, I see that a lot. I see that a lot. I have every piece of uh, empathy with it because I, I fall into that myself. I, I kind of think it's, it's a very compelling subject. It has everything for you, if you follow me. It's got social, psychological, cultural, political. It's got everything, if you follow me. And it, it, therefore, it's very easy to become fully absorbed in it and then a lot of people fall into this category where they know too much and they feel like they can't quite hang out with other people who don't know anything about it that they feel disaffected and alienated and they're living in an intensity that maybe they've never lived before 
Yeah. Certainly, I look back at my life pre-gender and, you know, honestly, it was a nice life. I, I was releasing my books. I, I had my clinical practice. It was very pleasant, but it it ratcheted up in intensity since I, I've become absorbed in gender. And I'm I'm a bit shocked at how intense it is. All the kind of more milder pursuits I was following have gone, not all of the good ones, but the, the, you know, watching kind of vegetable telly, for example, there's a few things that I don't do that I used to do a lot of. And so I'm kind of thinking the intensity is very attractive, but it's also, you'll, we'll all burn out. Do you know what I mean? And I feel now we're quite a few years in, people are feeling quite burnt out. Mm. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I, I agree. Like, and, and, something I'm really conscious of as a therapist is being really careful about all the projections, you know, like when we were talking about detransitioners and their identities, like you mentioned this really important point, which is that, you know, detransitioners who are trying to move on with their life, they can go get some job that doesn't pay very well. And they're pretty much just like a regular person, or maybe people don't receive their story well. And then they come online and they're like a celebrity, you know, and they're brilliant and everyone loves yeah. them and your your work is changing my life. And, you know, these kinds of things are actually very important to be careful with. Um, and I'm I'm aware that, like, I know our work has helped a lot of people and it's really powerful. And I I am so proud of that. And also I try to be very careful about all these projections because you can you can fail to see your own blind spots if you become too bought into any one stance that you've taken. Um, and I do wonder about all of these kind of like internet characters who make a living off of the gender wars. And I'm big, I think because I'm a lone wolf kind of person, as soon as I start getting lumped in with people, I get very bristly, to be honest. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable there. I don't want to be part of a group. I've always been anti-group. Like I was never, I've never been in a sorority. I've never been part of group sports. I'm an individual kind of interest person. So the second people start saying, oh, Sasha's a gender critical, this gender critical, that, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I'm not comfortable here actually. And frankly, like there's some some things I just don't see in the same way as these groups. So I don't know where I was going with that, but it's like there are a lot of projections and a lot of, I think, like slight or overt pressures to like feed your audience what they want to hear, you know? And there are well, certain like commentators that this is their full-time gig now is gender. I mean, us included. So it's just, mm. I don't know what to make of it. It's, it's a weird thing. Well, the, the, the celebrity Twitter account is, a, is a, an identity, if you follow me. There's some yeah. brilliant, and I shouldn't just say Twitter, but notably Twitter accounts, which are phenomenal. And I can think of a few that you just think, oh, here they go. Here comes a thread. Like, yeah, they're off. You know what I mean? They'll get thousands of likes and shares and stuff. And they're really high number of followers. And then I've met them, you know, I've met them, especially when I go over to London. I meet them and they're living such a quiet life. And I realize that they work in computers or they work mm-hmm. as, as something really nothing to do with it. But their mm-hmm. main life is 
the, the Twitter account, if you follow me, their working life is just to make money. It reminds me of um, in Ireland, we have trad musicians, traditional musicians. Mm. Very often, they don't even talk about their job. Oh, I'm a teacher or I'm a you know librarian. They don't even hear it. Their main work is their music, where they, they don't frankly get very much money, but they get a huge amount of status and purpose and they love it and they know they're brilliant at it. And they, they, they kind of, it gives them their sense of life. And it seems similar, but not as healthy to be the same in a Twitter account. Like, you you know, you're at your best with your Twitter account. You're brilliant at nailing this particular point. You get a huge amount of response from the world and you know you're brilliant. If you follow me, There's some of these accounts are phenomenal. I don't know where I'm going. It's an interesting personality identity that has come out of all this. And it's like they're brilliant Twitter accounts. That's what they are. And then when you meet them and you're like, oh, my God, this is your life. As in you're, 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 you've got a different job and all of that amazing talent is effectively just channeled into Twitter. I don't think they're making money from it. I think it's like the drag musicians. They're, they're getting everything else. Do you know what I mean? Some of them have substacks. I suppose we all have a substack at this stage. But I'm not sure how much money is being made at it. But there's, there's another type which is kind of linked, another identity that comes to mind, which is kind of linked with this one, which is I, I often think it's the accidental gender critical where they were war they had a family they were working life was perfectly normal and healthy and low key and they fell into this and have become they eat live breathe sleep it and i'm part of this i like i say i'm going to say no judgment all the way through this because i i totally understand how people do fall into this subject but yeah they they can't quite believe they've become so obsessed yeah and they say very regularly, I'm obsessed with this. My partner tells me I'm obsessed with it. This is extraordinary. I've never felt so engaged or uptight or upset or, or intense about a subject mm. in my life. I've never felt so politically engaged. So I'm not sure what's going on. That. Mm -hmm. Is that somebody who's ripe to get engaged? And this is the subject they found or which I actually believe is what's happening. Is this an incredibly engaging subject? You're not so sure, but this is what I think. Well, I'm, I'm, think, I'm trying to figure out where I stand here. I mean, I don't want to like keep talking about my own experience, but I mean, it's just so thought provoking. I mean, when you were talking about the trad musicians, yeah, that was me with dance, I think. Oh. And there was a, at least a five year period of my life where like, I really worked so that I could think about and research and yeah. study dance like that was and then gender kind of almost pulled me out of it. And dance has really gone into the very, very back, back, background of my life. That's so interesting. Um, but you're, you're right. Like there are some people who it's almost like they never were fully alive and awake until this gender thing came up. And then all of their like life force slash libido yeah. is like poured into this, which I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. And. I mean, that's that's what's so challenging. It's it's a beautiful thing to like really find something that you are engaged with and passionate about and want to learn about. And also what happens when that directly contradicts your ability to feel normal, feel human. I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about the. I don't know if if it's the word is depression, but the kind of despair that sometimes happens, like when people are following 
the medical scandal aspect of this specifically, or if, if let's say you take, because there are so many different pieces of the gender debates that are troubling, right? So let's say you want to focus just on incidences of trans identified male people in prisons, right? Yeah. If that's what you look at 24 hours a day, it's so dismal and distressing and it can lead people into a very, very dark mental space. Mm-hmm. And it's not that those instances don't deserve like a great deal of focus and attention because they do. But I'm, I'm reminded of times when like I was really, really into radical feminist analysis and particularly the way that pops up on social media. I was just getting like feed after feed of like horrific stories of abuse of women. H- horrific. And it just warped my perspective so much that I was like seeing that trauma everywhere around me all the time when really it wasn't there, you know? So, so I do wonder, and I'm no longer in that space mentally, thank God, but like I do wonder people who get really obsessed with like one or two aspects of the kind of gender wars, do they fall into this really dark hole where they're actually kind of warped? And maybe they are seeing like nefarious purposes when maybe it's more complicated than that. Or maybe it's not as like evil as they think it is. You know, I'm trying to be careful here, but do you see where I'm going? I see where you're going and I'm going to push back a little bit, but I do see where you're going. I do think there are people, I do agree. There is definitely people and they have... And I think they'll be listening, thinking I've lost myself and, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get attacked. I'm I've lost my sense of happiness. I've lost myself in this and I'm I'm in deep distress. I am actually in deep distress. So there are those people who who will have gone into that really dark place. And I would like to remind them, you're not handcuffed to a radiator here. You can free yourself. You can go and hang out with an old friend and it might be a bit boring and it won't be as intense and they won't understand lots of things, but you can rehabilitate towards, like I say, kind of boring, normal life. And it's it's almost like um, the way gangsters sometimes talk about how they don't want to go back to ordinary life. Do, do you know what I mean? Because it was so compelling living the life. If you live in a very intense way, to go back to ordinary, let's go for a coffee and shoot the breeze about kind of non-events. It's not attractive. It's a little bit deadening. And I think that's happening a little bit. However, to push back, the reason why I'm talking to you and why you're talking to me is because something horrific has happened. And the silencing of debate around the horrors that have happened has kept me talking about it. And, you know, every time you kind of peel this onion, you you find deeper and deeper awful events that it's genuinely one of the most shocking, the most shocking, actually the most shocking phenomenon of my life. I I haven't come across something that's equivalent. You know what I mean? The kind of the silencing, the, the capturing of institutions, the capturing of policies, the kind of the the capturing of ordinary people, the extraordinary down is up and up is down. So many things are happening that you could argue, yeah, there's a really valid reason for people to become utterly absorbed. Once you see it, it's very hard to unsee it. There's a certain type of person who can step back, but an awful lot of people, once they go in, random people, like funny people telling me, I can't believe I have nothing to do with this. I have nothing to do with this. And I'm just, 
eating, breathing it, you know. And I, I kind of saw it happen with my husband, funnily enough, because when he first into it, he used to go, yeah, that's enough agenda now, Stella, like, so stop, <laughs> you know, I've enough. And now all these, he's, he comes up with the, all his own stories, he, he adds, you know, he's just as into it. So there is something extraordinary happening, I would argue. I think you're, I mean, you're right. I'm going to say something, I don't know, may not make me popular, but I I do wonder, like, so for example, I'll just share, when I was working with um, middle schoolers and high schoolers at the charter school, I was encountering in my daily work, like, horrific trauma and generational problems and child abuse and I also felt at that time just as overwhelmed by like, why does nobody care about this? How do so many people not know like the kind of lives that these kids are living through and like the way poverty and destitution can tear up families? Like, so I was very fortunate to have been raised in, you know, a family with kind of normal problems, but like loving, I never went hungry. Like I never really had problems. And then when I was working with these populations and I also worked with child abuse survivors, sexual abuse survivors, women who were in domestic violence. And when you work with those kinds of populations, there's a similar feeling, which is this is so unbelievably unfair. People have the cards stacked up against them so badly and nobody's listening. Like so many women were going to, you know, the police with horrific stories and nobody was being listened to. A lot of perpetrators were never, you know, so, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of the same women who have those concerns are now concerned about gender because of the way, like you said, it's this up is down. Like it's obfuscating all of these problems that feminists have been trying to work for for a long time. And like, you know, lots of advocacy work. So, but I, I do sometimes wonder if like the person who is, let's say, a computer engineer who's never really been part of, you know, um, social services or mental health care, like maybe for the first time for that person, they're realizing, oh, my God, horrific things can happen and our government's not going to do anything about it. And doctors don't really understand what's going on. And I do think gender is to a different scale. I do think it's and I've said it many times. It's like the most shocking thing I've ever witnessed. But I don't think this is the only example, you know, of like a horrific thing flying yeah. through the radar. I, I have used your analogy and I've made your argument and I've, I've pulled back a little bit from it because I've said it about, let's say, homelessness. I know a lot about homelessness and the awful, awful traps of homelessness and addiction. And, you know, but however, it's the capture. I know what you're talking about, abuse people getting dismissed it's the capture it's people believing something and they don't quite know what they believe it's 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 the silencing of debate it's the strange lies the strange kind of huge amount of ordinary people presuming something that is wrong there is something shocking happening but we should go back to our identities you know what I mean because we could argue this all night but yeah there is there's a few other identities that I think the classic one would be uh, that we've all met. It would be the rad femme, you know, the mm. radical feminist have, who has often been there for 30 years saying you've all finally arrived. Yeah, <laughs> we saw this coming forever. There's only one analysis of this and it's the feminist, the radical feminist outlook. And now you're all listening to us. And then it's like, hey, you fools, stop 
looking at other directions. Stop looking at psychological. Stop looking at anything else. There's only one way. This is the radical feminist. So sometimes they can be, they can feel like their day has come. And then it can feel very, very, They I've noticed an awful lot of them can feel very, very saddened and distressed because it's not, people aren't slapping their forehead and saying, yes, this is the one truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, there's definitely like a, a, be- a belief system within the rad fem analysis, which kind of accounts for everything. And it's like, yeah. to me, there are certain parts of the ROGD phenomenon or the medicalization phenomenon that don't necessarily fit into that narrative. But there's an attempt to make everything fit into that narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for the show. To take an even deeper dive and support the show, join our listener community for access to exclusive content, practical tools and resources supporting gender and identity exploration. We're so grateful to our sponsor, Genspect, an international organization which offers an alternative to WPATH providing a range of education, resources, and supports to anyone impacted by gender distress, GenSpect unites many different organizations globally and gives voice to thousands of previously untold stories. For more info, visit genspect.org. And thank you to our sponsor, Rhyme. Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics is a non-profit organization dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. And now back to the conversation. Yeah. What other identities is there? What about the um, the affirming parent? Oh, yeah. Big the one. parent who's not just affirming, but has made this their mission to quote, protect trans kids. I think that's how it's most often phrased. The Um, trans parent who's made it their life's goal to show their love to -hmm. their child. And, you know, they get an awful lot of, I think, um, really horrible criticism. And I think if they believe in gender identity theory, whether they know they believe in it or not, if they've assimilated gender identity theory, then... I think they're doing right by their child as they know it. You you know Mm. what I mean? I don't think this is necessarily the narcissism that a lot of people think it is. They think they have a huge world to fight where bigotry and transphobia is everywhere. And they think that this is the fight of my life. I am part of the new world order. There's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who don't understand this. And I have to be part of the pioneering world who, who teaches this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know at this point if our interview with Rose will be out, but that was an amazing interview that everybody should listen to. And I think that that is one type <laughs> of affirming parent, right? A, an affirming parent who is really genuinely doing what they believe is best based on this theory of gender identity. I do think there's probably another kind of parent that by definition oh, yeah. is not coming across our radar who is using their child's story as a kind of political move. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the same hesitation I have about using children in politics for anything, even if it's an issue I agree with. Like, I think that is very risky. And I don't think putting your child in the political spotlight is a good idea for any issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's very dangerous. 
And it was the reason I got into this was I wrote, read about Cyril Doty and uh, Cory Doty and, you know, the, 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 the trans parent had a child who was a baby, you know, called them baby and then applied to the Canadian courts for the, you know, for the right to have the child under you as an unassigned or unknown rather than female or male. And it was that imposition of of politics. I felt politics on the child. I do think um, when I saw that, I saw that a lot in Ireland. There's an awful lot of, you know, children who are brought up to be Republican and not Republican in the American sense, um, in the kind of Irish sense, very Irish nationalist. You know, you bring them up, you know, singing ballad songs at a young age and stuff. So there's a certain type of imposition on, on of politics on children in Ireland. And I also saw in real life people getting radicalised. So that I think there's a whole type of person who is the radicalized identity where it's been imposed upon them. They, they, they were honestly ordinary, decent people who hadn't got extreme views and the silencing of debate and being told that they were a bigot and being told that they were transphobic and being told all sorts of things that were wrong about them have maddened them and have radicalized them. And I saw that in Ireland, you know, uh, so much in Northern Irish politics that they become radicalised. They, they they lose their sense of self and they go very, very radical. You know, I'm sure you've read about it in, in other cultures. People mm -hmm. get radicalised and oh, people yeah. get hardened, hardened yeah. because of yeah. how people respond to them. And that has happened. There's a whole identity where it's like they've become very hardened. And they're they're really distressed and they've been badly treated by the world, but they're reacting to this bad treatment in a way that's in a way they're losing themselves. They're losing their own kind of decency or gentleness mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And I can see mm -hmm. why I get it. I totally get it. Mm -hmm. but it's something to watch mm -hmm. out for. Yeah, it makes me wonder, too, like sometimes it's a kind of like a chicken egg question that comes yeah. up in my mind. Is this radicalism that we see, like, this person has kind of glommed onto gender as an excuse to express this, like, very vitriolic attitude that was dormant underneath? Or does participation in this as, like, a movement tend towards radicalizing people in general? You know, like, yeah. it's an interesting question because I think there are, well... I've done lots of study of influence and indoctrination, and I think there are certain types of people who are known to be more susceptible and vulnerable to being radicalized and indoctrinated. But I also wonder, um, is there something about the way social media algorithms work, the way this is being debated in the public and in such a polarizing way that just is going to turn very unassuming people into more hardened radicalized people like it's an interesting question wow yeah I, th I think you're right i think they're both i think there's people who have mm -hmm. um uh, the extremist who 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 glommed onto it and the person who has become it and they're both hanging out together uncomfortable yeah if you follow yeah. me and, and not really, I think there's the another identity that would be known would be the kind of professional activist who's gone from, I don't know, climate change or I don't mm. know, veganism or whatever. And they're all worthy causes. I'm not being dismissive, mm -hmm. but and this is a new cause and causes is what is their lifeblood. They're politically they're political animals. And mm -hmm. this is the cause of the moment. I, I, I. I'm worried about how many people in this whole, both sides, 
both sides are so unhappy. You, you know what I mean? There, there does feel like there's an awful lot of wretched distress that I see, which worries me because I do think, you know, we're, we're it's mostly the privileged Western world. It's a very cerebral intellectual debate. An awful lot of the attacks are online. If we were to do, you know, there's women in prisons. There's some dreadful stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Massive. If we were to do an actual chart of where are the attacks. They're massively wordy, clever. It's it feels like it's it's you can lose yourself in this. You can lose you can be really, really lost and sad. I think there's an awful lot of people who are feeling very lost and sad. I think in, in yeah. both sides of it, really distressed, genuinely devastated. And that makes me look back and try and look at the bigger picture and think, what's what's that all about? But here we are with our clever arguments and dredging up what they said three years ago because it made, yeah, what is, what, what, what is this? I don't know. It feels like there's something societally going on mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and is socially media generated will we look mm-hmm. back and think mm-hmm. this is a social media phenomenon that happened or something yeah um, i'm not sure about that you know um i find uh i find it really weird like i'm trying to figure out how to say this there's been a lot of talk about like the current generation getting really riled up about political issues. And I've heard some commentators make a point, which I think is valid, which is like there is a kind of glorification of certain types of political struggles that happened in the past. You know, so, oh, yeah. for example, if you're a young person in America and you're learning about the civil rights movement, for example, and mm-hmm. you think about these horrific things that that were happening to, to black Americans and there can be this kind of very powerful feeling drummed up that like if there's even a minor infraction today we want to have the same fervor and the same energy that drew our civil rights leaders from the past like into their fight right and i totally understand the need to have some cause something that builds meaning barry weiss had an interesting conversation recently with a a a gentleman who's a journalist but writes a lot about war and he was talking about like the way veterans sometimes miss the war because they they feel like this was the most purposeful thing and i remember i had a a co-worker when i worked in the bars and he was a bartender and he was a veteran and i remember him saying i would love to go back into combat and that totally blew my mind i didn't understand and i said why and he said there's no feeling like having your brother your brothers your metaphorical Mm. brothers next to you and it's life or death, Mm -hmm. and they will have your back. Coming back to civilian life is like dead compared to that. And like, I will never forget that, right? So so I do think there's this sense of mission and conviction that people feel like they have to have. But when it comes to what, you know, what you were talking about, like, I don't understand or know were civil rights struggles or were like suffrage, the suffragettes, like were those battles won? because there were certain people that refused to have a life outside of their cause? Or were they like also normal people that like, you know, Monday through Friday worked on the activism stuff and then like also went to the zoo with their kids? Like, because it's hard to tell, like in order to be part of a movement, 
How dedicated do you have to be? Do you have to really do this at the exclusion of all other things? I mean, I definitely know people in this gender world who, as far as I can tell, their life is pretty much over. Like all they do is gender 24 seven and it feels like this noble cause. And it is, it is a noble cause because I do think what's happening to kids is just horrific. And I, I wonder in like the big arc of history where like, if you look at other cultures and other times and other places, horrific things happen to humans all the time. I mean, it's just, it's so horrific, the kinds of things that governments do to people and that people do to other people. But I wonder like, do we, do we overcome these things little by little, or do we all have to throw ourselves into the fire? You know, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. I do know that in history, yes, definitely some of the great heroes were, were great heroes for the cause and dreadful for their family and dreadful yeah. family people and, you know, left unhappy families on, you know, very, very unhappy children behind and they did mm-hmm. not attend to their family. There's no doubt about it. And they were mm-hmm. heroes. They were absolute mm-hmm. heroes and good for humanity. Mm-hmm. So that is a, that's a, that's a personality that has consistently been in history. So that, that's something to think about. But also there's been the weekend warriors. <laughs> who, who, you know, the keyboard who, warriors now yeah, that we have. Yeah. But who do it at the weekend or do it when it suits them, which is probably more healthy for their life. If you follow me, it's mm-hmm. probably a healthier mm-hmm. way. You remember Oscar Schindler from Schindler's List and after the war, you know, he, he never had any happiness afterwards, you know, and he, he became mm. alcoholic as far as I remember. And, you know what I mean? And it was the mm. intensity of war is really commonly checked as, as a kind of something. But one thing I do think that is maybe missing, I might be wrong, but I think an awful lot of people feel a lack of solidarity. You know, that veteran and I got goosebumps when you're talking about it. Mm. He talked about the brothers in arms. There is Mm -hmm. nothing more because I have had it in other contexts. When people have your back, there's something so nourishing for Mm -hmm. my soul or my my very being when somebody has Mm -hmm. my back. It's, It's something very important for me. I don't feel this movement has been very solidarity. I think it's because mm. everybody's their own wolf, so they go, well, I, I can't really agree with you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. off they go. And I think it is because of that, but I do think there's a lack of solidarity and that might be why so many people feel distressed. I know other mm. movements in other contexts, they've said it was the, the greatest time in my life. It was huge solidarity. We were all together and we, 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 we grew in our communities, even though it was terrible, it was mm-hmm. it was also the most beautiful time of my life because we, we were growing together, fighting something. I'm not sure that's happening at the moment. I'm not sure. I think there's an individualistic vibe that everybody's each man for himself. Mm-hmm. I, I'm saddened about that, but I, I, I strongly believe that is what it is. I think mm. that is happening, which is unfortunate is there any other um uh identities within this there's so many of them we're probably missing those oh there's tons i mean i don't think there's a way to cover all of them i do think there's a uh here at least in the u.s there's a kind of conservative leaning person oh god yeah who who ends up in some ways aligning with people with really different beliefs on other things, right? So like, of course, everyone knows about the Rad Femme and kind of conservative alliances that have been built, which is really interesting. Um, but I think sometimes 
from where, at least where I stand, the conservative critics can definitely tip into demeaning and cruel and really dismissive and mocking uh, certain types of, you know, let's say progressive activists, like especially on social media, that becomes a really big thing. And I, you know, there we've talked about this before, like people who kind of make a career off of basically making fun of teenage girls who have a trans identity who oh. make TikTok videos or something, you know? So that there's a kind of like, let's poke fun and laugh at people who have crazy liberal ideas, you know, like there's that kind of person. And oh yikes. that's really tricky because there, there's like a, always a, I always say there's a grain of truth in all of these things, but you can end up hardening yourself to compassion if you yeah. go down that road. Uh, as you know, I, I wrote that book on, on bully and bully proof kids and I kind of got into the different types of bullies there are. And there's, you know, there's one bully which I, I was glad to highlight and I don't think people know about very much is they're very mm. funny. They're very mm. witty. They make the whole class laugh. They're actually brilliant at making us laugh. Mm. You can't help but laugh. You bite it, but you, you can't help but laugh because it's very, very funny. They get their power from it. And um, you're laughing, but you're becoming part of something that really, yeah, it's very laughable. But yeah. sometimes one shouldn't laugh. And I love laughing and I am mm-hmm. so fast to slag somebody. It's not right. <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't. I, I've a very quick kind of, um, I like laughing a lot, too much. Um, but that is something that is something that we need to be very, very, very conscious of. There's an awful lot of just absolutely ripping, ripping yeah. kind of people up. And that's, it's bullying. It's bullying. There's no doubt about it. But there's another type that are uh, emerging in Ireland, which is kind of horrifying for me, but I shouldn't say horrifying, but shocking, because I thought they'd kind of gone, which is religious zealots. There's, there's mm. extreme religious zealotry, which I actually thought had gone in Ireland. Now, Ireland's well known for being a very Catholic country and that has always had quite a strong zealous kind of component in the religion. But there's this new, new type in Ireland. And there's a guy called Enoch Burke and he's a, he's a, he was a teacher and by all accounts, a brilliant teacher. And he refused to call a child they, them when he was asked. And had it just stayed at that, it could have been an interesting argument. Should a teacher buy into gender Mm -hmm, identity? mm -hmm. He had a very simple, it's plural. I won't. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? He had a very simple yeah, standard. Yeah. But anyway, his religious zealotry ended up that he ended up in jail. It's It's been an extra... And then when he was in jail, the, the prisoners asked him to be removed because he was talking about the Bible all the time. This guy's oh really a serious zealot. And there's a whole group of outliers, quite a, a pretty intense group that I had no idea existed that have emerged. That's a whole identity that I, I just didn't know was there. I didn't know. It oh, was, that's fascinating. Yeah. 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 You knew the Republican religious conservative type was there. I didn't. I didn't know they were there. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about zealots, but like one kind of group of people that I've learned about really for the first time, because like I grew up, my family wasn't particularly religious, but we did have a period of time where we were going to church. And I was kind of one of those people that was like a oh, church and I'd roll my eyes. Like I, I was never like really. And then I went through periods of time where I was. But but what's interesting to me now is like there's a whole type of Catholic analysis of gender, which is actually really intelligent and profound. And I just oh, yeah. have to say, like the Catholics have put out some incredible um 
you know, pieces of writing and work around this, which I didn't know. I mean, I didn't realize there was, I mean, that's so stupid to say, but I didn't realize there was such a profound and interesting kind of like theological analysis of the body until like this gender stuff has come up. So there, there oh, are yeah. definitely religious zealots who I would say probably don't help this debate at all. But there's also like a lot of very thoughtful and intelligent, like, theologically based analyses that I found interesting. And I've always been very respectful of there's a certain type of, of theologian in Ireland, often kind of often called in a, in a kind of generalization, the Jesuits, because they're the kind of thinking man's Catholic and they're very educated and my God, they're clever. And they, they will have you, you know, they'll really make you think. So uh, it, I welcome that. I welcome thoughtful, even religious, even though I'm not religious, I welcome that into any sort of debate. But they're, they're an identity. There is a many, many different types. And obviously, the, there's a big identity of the trans activist, who yeah. I, I met a lot when I did my film in 2018. And I, I met an awful lot of trans activists. And I, I afterwards realized do you know that this is a this is a certain type of personality and i read up about activisms and the kind of the hyper fixation the kind of uh the very black and white thinking mm-hmm. very one 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 track mind it's not always but activists often have these autistic traits that i ha- i wasn't aware of i i wasn't aware that there was a link between activism and autism and stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. that was very very interesting and makes sense. And it also means you don't get anywhere without these people in life. They are needed. If you follow yeah. me, they are needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fascinating. I mean, I would encourage listeners or viewers um, to maybe write in the comments, like, what are some other, I guess, yeah. archetypes of people within the, the gender debates? Um, and maybe we can kind of flush some of these ideas out some more. Uh, I, I just guess realized, before... I've run into darkness. <laughs> Can you see me? I know. I could see like darkness has descended on Ireland for sure. And it's funny because sometimes in the year it's bright all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's something about the shadow of the light or something. Cause yeah. I've gone really dark now. Sorry. I'll have to light No, on. that's okay. <laughs> well, this has been interesting. I mean, do do we have any kind of last thoughts about like let's say you're one you're in one of these groups you know that we've identified like what what's the idea here i i would like to just call out to anybody who is in one of them um just to remind yourself of you can get too absorbed into something and you can lose yourself you can lose your family you can think those were the gender years and i I forgot to Mm -hmm. just have the simple pleasures of a lovely cup of coffee or of just you know hanging out with the kids or hanging out with an old friend who doesn't understand gender or you know going to choir you know going you know i i do think we can lose ourselves and i think it's a long 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 marathon this is i think it's going to go on for many years and i i think it's important that we don't you know become hardened or lose ourselves you know yeah that's a great message all right stella well till next time I go into the darkness now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. 
Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.